Two men were sentenced yesterday for paying bribes to a former Michigan House Speaker, Rick Johnson, in a case that concerns a period after Johnson finished his terms in the legislature when he was serving as chair of the Michigan Medical Marijuana Licensing Board. Now, Johnson himself was sentenced earlier this fall to more than four years in federal prison. He pleaded guilty to accepting bribes including commercial sex services, while administering what was a very new and lucrative space in Michigan's business landscape. Today, what happened with abuse of power in Michigan's medical marijuana industry? And what might stop pay-to-play from happening again? This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. Mark Totten is U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Michigan, and he joins us now to talk about his office's prosecution of these cases. Welcome, sir. Good to be here. So this is a complicated story. Give us the scale of the corruption that your office investigated. So uh, we reported that Rick Johnson received at least $110,000 in bribes. Uh, The payments came in uh, over many months while he was on the board. The bribes took the form of cash payments, of luxury travel, of commercial sex. Uh, there was a uh, very um, you know, deliberate scheme to try to conceal it, the use of multiple LLCs to launder the money, uh, burner phones, uh, code names, uh, you know, a whole attempt to try to, to, to conceal this uh, from the eyes of law enforcement and from the eyes of the public. Your team made the case that the bribes were not just changing hands, that they were demanded. Could you say more about that? Yeah, no, we, we said at sentencing that um, Rick Johnson, uh, the, the former chair of the board, was a bully, that he was shaking down people, that he was demanding money. That doesn't excuse the people that paid it, of course. Uh, and those, you know, several of those people have been held accountable, including yesterday. Um, but, but Rick Johnson was very much at the center of this. He used this position to, to try to uh, increase his own wealth. How did your team and investigators discover that something was rotten in how Rick Johnson was conducting regulation? You know, we uh, have not uh, really gotten into the details about how the investigation got started. But uh, certainly, you know, our our investigatory team working primarily with the FBI uh, was watching very closely. I know there were a lot of investigative reports in the media as well early on um, that we were paying attention to, too. And, uh, you know, we just we took things from there. When medical marijuana was first approved in Michigan, it for medical use, it didn't take very long for rumors to start flying at the state's capital that this might be ripe for corruption. In your view, would any new regulatory body be be vulnerable to this kind of exploitation? Or do you think there was something specific to the medical market that made an opportunity? You know, a lot of people, I think, have rightly described this emerging market as a possible, you know, green gold rush, as some people said. Uh, It was an area where I think people held out a lot of hope that they could make some money. You know, last year, the marijuana industry in Michigan generated $2.3 billion. So, in fact, it has proven to be quite a a significant industry. And any time you have a new industry like that, there's always the possibility of corruption. There are any number of businesses in uh, medical and now increasingly, of course, in in the uh, recreational space that do business in Michigan. They do so without benefit of banks. And this has, I mean, this has been the kind of business where either folks who are doing their own startups or who are coming in from out of state names are coming in, dealing with a lot of cash that largely does not end up in banks. 
because of federal rules. Is there anything that you've observed as a federal prosecutor about how regulation across the states is this is is the problem that we saw with Rick Johnson anything that has repeated itself in other jurisdictions? You know, I think certainly some of the the particular circumstances of this industry, the interplay between state and federal law, you know, creates some unique circumstances. But at the same time, you know, I think this type of of bribery could happen anywhere, uh, and I think we've seen it it, it happen elsewhere in local government and otherwise. Um, and so, you know, I don't know that there was anything unique here. I think you had uh, some defendants in this case that came into this position intent on um, using it to pad their own pockets. And honestly, it was really quite a brazen enterprise. We need to take a break. Back in just a minute. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. This week, the Detroit News reported financial links between Rick Johnson and then-State Senate Majority Leader Arlen Meekhoff. And the suggestion in in the story was that that some sort of payments were happening around the time of Rick Johnson's appointment to what turned out to be a lucrative position for him. Can you tell us about whether the investigation is ongoing? So the investigation is ongoing. I certainly can confirm that. I'm afraid I can't say much more beyond that. We're you know pretty careful to make sure that 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 we don't uh, divulge any any details. Um, but it is ongoing. Can you say whether uh, whether or not there are multiple people who the office is investigating? Yeah, I really I really can't confirm anything more than that. It certainly you know the fact that this is ongoing is is compatible with us having future charges or or also not. Uh, you know we will do what we've always done is to follow the evidence uh, wherever it leads with independence and with impartiality. Mark Totten, this is in some ways a rather odd case. Rick Johnson and his uh, some of his colleagues in the legislature were kind of made their bones as rock-ribbed conservatives. And by the end of this, they were getting into some pretty seedy spaces. What happened? You know, I don't I don't know what happened inside <laughs> the mind of of Rick Johnson or any of these these other three defendants. But I will tell you that it is, I think, a very serious crime in some sense. Public corruption stands in a category of its own. It's 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 one crime that is aimed at poisoning the, uh, or at least has the effect of poisoning the the democratic structure that we have. You know, in our system, power finally resides in the people, and anyone who wields that power as a public official has to do so as a, a steward uh, in the in the interests of the people they represent and. When a appointed or, or elected official uses their power to serve their own interests, it, it attacks the rule of law itself, which is why we take these types of cases so seriously. 
A number of things have changed in Michigan since the circumstances of these offenses played out. At the time, uh, Rick Snyder was the governor. The legislature was entirely under Republican control. Rick Johnson, of course, was a former Republican legislative leader. Now the entire legislature and the governor's office have flipped, and also Michigan's cannabis businesses have switched. There's been a huge boom as recreational use has been approved and sale has been approved. Could it happen again? You know, I think public corruption can happen anywhere and anytime. I I don't think that it is in any way limited to this particular industry. We've certainly seen it uh, in local government, uh, we've seen it seen it in other places as well at the federal level. And so I think the lesson is that uh, you always have to be on the lookout, that law enforcement has to be attentive, that we have to invest in the infrastructure that is necessary to be able to identify uh, these cases. This isn't like a you know a case where somebody's killed where a body shows up and the, the the case starts that way like these cases get built because you're very deliberately building sources and you have those relationships that are necessary to do it and so you know i think the larger lesson is we need to be on the lookout for public corruption wherever it may lie are you feeling satisfied about the sentences that have been handed down to Rick Johnson and 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 the lobbyists who gave him money yeah, Rick Johnson got uh, 55 months, four and a half years. And you know, I will tell you that that is a quite significant sentence, just to put that in a little bit of context. If you look at the national uh, sentencing in 2022 for bribery offenses, the national average was 23 months. If you go back to 2020, the national average that year was 15 months. And so four and a half years is a quite significant sentence and I think sends you know, an important message that we are going to take these crimes seriously and there will be full accountability. Rick Johnson is, or at least was last month when he was sentenced, 70 years old. Should age be a consideration? You know, these are finally decisions that uh, the judge makes and, and the judge has, you know, a number of broad categories, standards that that the judge takes into account. Um, you know, certainly that that can be one factor, but, you know, I think the the consistent message from what I've heard from uh, the federal judge here from the bench is that she takes this really seriously and she understands that perhaps the most important aspect of the punishment here is general deterrence, that we send a message to office holders and appointed officials that this kind of crime will not be tolerated. I hope lawmakers, uh, policymakers are are paying attention uh, to what's happened here. You know, I thir- certainly think there's some, some important questions that need to be asked. Are our financial disclosure laws um, strong enough? What about um, you know our Freedom of Information Act? What about the rules that govern lobbyists? Two of the defendants in this case were were lobbyists, and so you know I, I think anytime you have a major corruption scandal like we prosecuted here, that there's a wider audience that needs to pay attention and ask whether there's any changes that need to be made. I can't help but bring up since you uh, since you broached the subject. When Governor Whitmer came into office and also when Democrats gained the majority in the Michigan legislature, there were promises of transparency. I think I'm picking up from what you just said that you feel like there is still work to be done. You know, I think if you look at what happened in this case, uh, the state law actually had some very uh, stringent financial disclosure laws. Um, uh, you know, at least I've heard the press comment that they've they've not been able to get a hold of of those uh, disclosures. And so I think, you know, those kinds of facts have to make you kind of stand back and ask questions about what, you know, was the law strong enough 
to be able to provide the sunshine that is needed to detect public corruption. Mark Totten is U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Michigan. Mark Totten, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thanks for having me. And that's the Stateside Podcast. I'm April Bear. You can find full Stateside episodes at michiganradio.org. Today's podcast was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kabensog, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our intern is Olivia Meradian. Our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis. Music for our pods comes from Blue Dot Session and from Audio Network. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.